Our scripture this morning comes from the third chapter of Habakkuk, the very end of this short prophetic book, verses 17 to 19. Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? God, we pray that you will use uh, these two chapters in Habakkuk, chapters 2 and 3, uh, to move our hearts. Uh, speak to us, God, about the things that go on around us in this world and how we can respond as people of faith. And God, ultimately, we ask that you will give us that faith uh, that leads us to live lives uh, praising you in everything we do. Use this time and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think some people, and some of you included maybe, might think that I'm kind of crazy uh, because I usually get to preach about once a month, and this is my first opportunity to have a two-part series. I get to preach two back-to-back, and where do I turn? Habakkuk, where everyone wants to read, right? Habakkuk is an amazing little book of the Bible that is often overlooked. It's only three chapters, uh, and in the span of just three chapters, though, we see a prophet that goes from complaining to rejoicing. We see this drastic change in the tone of the words. In just three chapters, he starts out crying out to God, How long, O Lord? And in the end, he's rejoicing, which is an amazing thing. And I think that's what draws me to this book, is what happens between this opening crying out to God and complaining and his climax at the end of saying, I will praise you no matter what. We started last week by crying out, like Habakkuk, how long, O Lord? Too often I succeed in my prayers of complaining and fail to get where Habakkuk gets at the end with his prayer of faith. And I said last week that I believe like Habakkuk, we are called to cry out about injustices we see in the world around us. But we have to get where Habakkuk gets by the end of the book, where we say, God, we trust you because of your goodness. So last week we cried out, how long, O Lord? He cried out about all the things he saw in his world, and we too can cry out. There is no shortage of injustices for us to cry out about. How long, O Lord, will boys and girls be forced into slavery around the world and in our own backyard? How long, O Lord, will racism threaten peace between your children? How long, O Lord, fill in the blank with whatever sin and injustice you see around you. There's plenty to go around. 
And God's response seemed to only worsen the situation. God responded by telling Habakkuk that he's raising up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. And they're going to come and enact his justice on the people. And Habakkuk does not understand. He again questions what God is doing and says, oh, hang on a second, God, they're even worse than we are. How are you going to use this nation that is so evil and wicked to enact your justice? We may have things going on that are wrong, but, but we're better off than they are. Sounds like the tax collector and the Pharisee, doesn't he? But God's response to Habakkuk seemed to only make him more stressed about what was going on. And so he cries out again. And we ended last week with Habakkuk saying, I will stand at my watch post and see what God has to say concerning my complaint. And that's where we left off. That we are called to stand and listen and wait on God to speak to us concerning what we're crying out about. That's what we're going to pick up in chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 3. I encourage you, if you brought a Bible, crack it open. Use the table of contents to find the book Habakkuk. And follow along with me in chapter 2 is where we're going to begin. I promise we're not going to read all of chapter 2 and chapter 3. Last week we, we read a lot. Uh, this week we're going to kind of zoom through and hit a few highlights before we get to that last climax of chapter 3. And so we're going we're gonna to start looking at Habakkuk chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse 3. In verses 2 and 3, actually, this is what uh, happens. Habakkuk writes, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that a runner may be read. And right off the bat, God is saying, What I'm about to show you, write it down, because this isn't just for you. And that's kind of the story of Scripture, right? Write it down because this isn't just for you. It's for others too. It's for us. Write it down. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that a runner or a messenger may read it. This is a message God is saying needs to be spread. And then here's how this vision or this message begins that Habakkuk is to write down. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Uh, Judy did a good job of, of telling the children that a lot of times the message is, is about patience and, and waiting on the Lord. And we talked about that in our Sunday school class this morning. That sometimes you want God to do something, like right then and there. But a lot of the time, what Scripture teaches us is to be patient and to wait on what the Lord is going to do. This vision begins by saying, there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end. And you have to be patient for it. Uh, I said we were going to zoom through, and I promise that's true. I know I just like stopped in one verse for a while. But we're now going to look at the rest of chapter 2. The rest of chapter 2 is structured in a really interesting way. There are five uh, repeated phrases. There's, there's a phrase that's repeated five times throughout chapter 2. 
in, in the NRSV that I typically use, it says, alas for you who blank. And that's, that's said five times to kind of signify a repeated like, theme going on here. The NLT says it differently. The NLT translates it, uh, what sorrow awaits for you. There's some sort of judgment to come or some sort of sorrow awaiting on the people who blank. And there are five of these. And so at first glance, uh, in, the, in the context, it's God saying, don't worry, Habakkuk. I know how evil the Babylonians are because listen to what is going to happen to them, to the wicked. Okay, God says, look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by faith. And so there's this contrast going on between uh, the, the righteous and those who live by faith and the proud or the wicked, which in this context is the Babylonians. So, so look at these five things. I've got them up here on the screen. This happened throughout chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Uh, Alas for you who weep up what is not your own, who heap up what is not your own. The greediness of taking from others. Alas for you who do that. Verse 9, alas for you who get evil gain for your houses, sitting your nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. Essentially, alas for you who are in power and high above everyone else and ignore the weak and the needy. Verse 12, alas for you who build a town by bloodshed, which speaks of the violence the Babylonians used to build their nation, their mighty nation. Verse 15, the fourth alas for you is alas for you who abuse drink and nakedness, uh, they're described as, as partying, the leaders of their people as just being partying all day long and ignoring the needy, ignoring the injustice going on. And the fifth and final one in verse 19, alas for you who say to wood, wake up. Going on, it says, to silent stone, rouse yourself. And then, I love this part, I don't think it's blasphemous to say, but it seems like God is uh, being really kind of like uh, sarcastic here in this next uh, line. He says, alas for you who say to wood, wake up, to silent stone, rouse yourself. And then he says, can it teach? He's talking about the idols that they've made out of wood and out of stone and worship them as if they could do anything. And in this vision to Habakkuk, God says, can it do anything? Can that accomplish anything for you? And then this, this chapter 2 that goes through all these uh, evil things that are being done, for which there will be consequences, God says, but the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. While, while all of you all down there are worshiping your, your wood idols and your stone idols, guess what? God is saying, I'm up here in my temple. Why don't you just be quiet and listen to me for once? Reading this in the context of the rest of the book of Habakkuk, it's clear that the immediate meaning is simply God telling Habakkuk that he too sees the evil and wickedness of the Chaldeans, of the Babylonians. He's not unaware of how wicked they are. 
He's not blind to these things. But zooming out a little bit, we see that God is also speaking truths about the human condition. Because you see, humans, apart from God and His grace, will gravitate towards all of these things. Each one of us, apart from God and His grace, will find ourselves within that category that says, alas, for you. Apart from God and His grace, we will become Babylon. Chapter 2 serves as a powerful reminder of the destructiveness of sin. And God is saying, those of you who participated in these injustices will reap what has been sown. There are two possible responses to hearing that. The first is, oh, good. All those people who have perpetuated these injustices in our day too will reap what has been sown. Good. The second response is a little bit more difficult. The second response is to ask, in what ways have I participated in these injustices? Instead of simply talking about this second possible response, I'd like to invite you to join me as I pray a response. O oh Lord, in what ways have I turned a blind eye to the evils in the world? O oh Lord, in what ways have I failed to be an obedient child of God? In what ways have we failed to be an obedient church? In what ways has my sinfulness been destructive in my life as well as those around me? In what ways have I sought after the accumulation of wealth and ignored the poor? In what ways have I ignored racism around me or in my own heart? In what ways have I failed to leverage the privilege that I have, much of which was not earned by me, but by simply the circumstances of my birth? O oh Lord, show me where I have failed to be a beacon of light and hope. Show me where I have failed to participate in the coming of your kingdom and the good of others. And God, forgive me. God, forgive us of ways our sin has allowed and even perpetuated injustice among people you love. Amen. So Habakkuk, after hearing these five woes of the Babylons, or five uh, alas for you statements, Habakkuk then goes on uh, to have a, a closing prayer, if you will. And it's very poetic, and it's all of chapter 3. And so we're going to look at that now briefly and then uh, look specifically at verses 17 through 19. This, this poem in chapter 3 is thought by many biblical scholars to be one of the oldest pieces of the, the Old Testament or all of Scripture. It's thought to have, have existed well before the rest of the book of Habakkuk. 
and to be something that Habakkuk included in his writing and kind of made his own for the purposes of his context. And it sounds a lot like something you would just read out of the Psalms. One of the cool things that we see in it uh, is it, it calls to mind the amazing work of God throughout the biblical history. The amazing things that God has done. And it reminds me of our communion liturgy. When we talk about the mighty acts of God throughout history, and, and specifically then we get to the cross too. But we remember before we come to the table all that God has done for His people. And that's what Habakkuk is doing. And he starts out by saying, I have heard of your renown, and I stand in awe, O Lord, of your work. In our own time, revive it. In our own time, make it known. He says, I've heard what you've done. I know who you are. Make that a reality for us here and now. That vision that I was given of a future, the vision that Jeremiah is given of a future with hope, God, make that happen for us. Make it be a reality. It's a prayer that's used by Habakkuk to recount the might and goodness of a God who saves his people. And once again, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, the, the, the Jewish people have a story that finds its way into almost everything they write. And it's the story of the Exodus. And so we get some of the image of the Exodus in chapter 3. There's lots of images about waters and God bringing people through the waters. And then after this, in verse 16, at the end of verse 16, Habakkuk prays, I wait quietly for the day of calamity to come upon the people who attack us. Saying, God, I hear you saying there will be justice for the evil. I hear you saying that, and I will wait quietly for that day. And then we come to the climax of Habakkuk. He starts off by talking about all of the things that are life-giving for the Israelites, practically. The things that practically give them a fruitful and abundant life. And notices the absence that they are bringing. He says, though the fig tree does not blossom, and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails, and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls. That's the first part. I know I stopped mid-sentence, but that's the first part. Even though all of this bad is going on, and he lists like the very real things that affected him and his family, the lack of food, the lack of the thing that is life-giving for him and his people. And he says, even though all of that is empty, yet, that's a really good word, yet, even because of all of that, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. I wish 
we were celebrating communion again together today. Because remembering what God has done in the past and what He has promised to do again in the future turns Habakkuk from a complaining prophet to a rejoicing prophet. It's when he remembers God's promise and remembers what God has done that he begins to rejoice instead of complain. And when we come to the table, it's what we're doing. We are remembering what God has done throughout history and in our own lives. And that remembrance can do a work of grace in our lives and bring us faith. Are you overwhelmed by the evil in the world? Afar or here at home or in your own heart? Remember, we serve a God that rescued his people out of Egypt when they cried, How long, O Lord? And when Habakkuk cried out, How long, O Lord? He was given a vision of a time when God would again save his people. That gave Habakkuk peace and made him rejoice in the Lord. Last week, we cried out, How long, O Lord? It's time for us now to remember what God has done and what His promise is to do again in the future. You see, the vision that Habakkuk was given, it says, is of a, of a, of a future time. And that's interesting for us. Because we live in a time when that vision has already begun, but it has not ended. We live in a time when, when God's saving acts of His people, the new exodus, has begun in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but has not been fulfilled yet in the second coming. We live in a time when God wants to begin to right the wrongs in the world and is working to do that. Well, we live in a time when we're called to be a part of that. We live in a time when we're called to be a part of the coming of the kingdom here on earth, now, as it is in heaven. We're going to, in just a moment, sing a hymn. It's a, it's a Charles Wesley hymn that I had never heard before. And I, I told the first service, it was true then, that I had still never heard it, actually. Because I chose the hymn because the words were just so perfect. And I couldn't help but just smile as we were singing it in the first service. The melody's not the greatest. <laughs> it's okay. But I sent the hymn to Sarah earlier in the week and said, can we do this? Have we ever done it before? She said, I don't think we've ever done it before, but sure, we can do it. I'm so thankful that, that she can come lead us in this song because the words really get at something that I need to hear and I think something we need to hear. See, one of the things that, that Christians tend to do and I've tended to do is say the phrase, you just have to have faith. And it's true, we do have to have faith. But what it makes people think is, I just need to muster up something from within inside myself to have more faith. When the reality is, what Scripture teaches is that faith is something that's given to us from God. That we are saved by the faith of Christ. 
not just our faith in Christ, that Christ's faith becomes our own. And so as we close this morning, we're going to sing this prayer pleading for more faith. Pleading for faith that would allow us to respond like Habakkuk when he says, even though all around me fails me, yet I will praise you, God. Even when everything else is empty, I will stand and sing to you, God. So let's, let's stand together, and together let's plead for faith. Let us plead for faith alone. Thank you.